is 119 in the afternoon on Tuesday, October, what is today's date? Tuesday, October 25th, 2016. Just a few weeks, uh, what, the election's about two weeks away. This is Kevin Williams. I'm uh, podcasting to you from West Jordan, Utah, here in my Kevin Cave. And we have a really interesting podcast. Before, before we get into the podcast, I want to let you know, you can find this on iTunes. We can also be found on Facebook, and eventually I'll be getting a Twitter account. Now, I want to clear something up, because people have criticized me that I get too political on these podcasts sometimes, and whatever. Well, okay, so here's how the podcast works, uh, folks. This is the LDS Live podcast, so yes, we're going to discuss pretty much anything related to the LDS culture. And Yes, I will have authors on, as you know, if you look at the episodes. And if you've even listened to an episode, I had Nathan Ogden on, who is a motivational speaker, quadriplegic. I've uh, had Jana Lee on before. We're having her on again. And so, yes, uh, if we have someone that's into politics, we're going to get political. It is an LDS Live podcast. So I guess my point is, if you don't like the podcast, guess what? You don't have to listen. We are in a free country. Well, sort of. We'll talk about that. Anyway, uh, Jana Lee, how are you? Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. I really loved being on your podcast. Oh, it was um, a pleasure. So I'm I'm honored that you would ask me back. I think you, you have a really nice radio voice, and I don't get very nervous when I do an interview with you because you, are, you don't have hidden agendas or motives. I don't think you're trying to trip me up or make me say anything that you're going to, you know, like say oh look what she said <laughs> you know so a lot of a lot of interviewers do do that you know and try to mess you up on stuff or try to say make you say something that you didn't mean so. oh yeah and uh, I'm all about getting information out there uh, there's a reason why I'm doing this podcast and part of it amongst others is I want to get information out and you know, I'm not in this business to get popular. I want to get the information out. And sometimes I don't think we're being told everything. So what better guest to have on than someone like you who is in the political scene and uh, all that. Now, what is your opinion about the... Well, first of all, before we go there, what have you been up to lately in the political scene? Oh, thanks for asking. And, um, it, you know, this year ended up being a really busy year um kind of i didn't you know you know life kind of doesn't work out how you think sometimes i think that's maybe one of the things about life that we have to accept is that we have these plans and uh they don't work out the way or something unexpected happens and and so for me for me um a really defining year for me in the past year has been um that i have been a, a part of the ammon bundy ryan bundy lavoy finnicum saga uh, that took place up in Oregon at the beginning of the year, um, where a group of really just small-town cowboys took over a federal wildlife bird refuge in the middle of nowhere in Oregon, and it turned into an international story. Um, By the way, for the record, I am from eastern Oregon, so I know what you're talking are about. Are you really? Okay, yes. Okay, Harney County is in the uh, Malheur County. The, yep, well, I'm from Ontario. Malheur, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, well, and now I've been up there, and, and um, it's a really pretty put part of Oregon. I was really surprised. I felt like I was in maybe like a middle of 
a farming community in Idaho or something like that. I had no idea there were parts of Oregon that were so sparsely populated. Oh yeah, and uh, now I'm from Malheur County. You were in uh, you were in Harney County, but I think uh-huh. if I remember correctly, I think Burns is what about two hours away from Ontario, if I remember correctly. Uh, as a matter of fact, I used to get a radio station up in Burns. Well, when I lived in Ontario, oh. I had to have a good radio. Oh. KZZR AM twelve thirty. Oh, oh wow. Yep. That would be KZZR be Kazar or something like that. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, so I. What happened was, you know, a couple years ago, if, if people that listen on a little refresher course on yeah, go ahead. why this is such a big story, is that um, about two and a half years ago now, maybe, or two or three, um, we learned of a cowboy in Clark County named Cliven Bundy who made a stand against the federal government. The federal government said that he owed fees to the federal government, and he said, no, I pay my fees, but I pay them to the state, and you don't have jurisdiction over my ranch, because I pay my fees, but federal government doesn't, according to the Constitution, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17, you don't have the right to own ground, federal government, so I'm not going to pay my fees to you. So, So the federal government... Um, came in with uh, helicopters and bulldozers and they dug pits and they they actually were killing cattle and and dropping them into pits. The images are very disturbing and and I have to wonder, like, okay, where were the animal rights activists? It's okay to kill cattle that belong, that that provide food, but if you kill um, the... Uh, the wrong kind of spotted sage grouse, for example, or a turtle, or a fish, um, you know, they're going to be up in arms. <laughs> but killing cattle, like, where, where was everybody? But the images were very disturbing. But what really made me interested in this, Kevin, is when I saw, I don't know if it was on the news or if I was doing my own research, but I saw a federal agent throw a middle-aged woman to the ground for no reason at all and that that sent shockwaves at me she was standing there um and then they 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 were they had their german shepherds they it looked like a full military operation against these really nice cattle owners in the middle of nowhere and they tasered um ammon bundy four times who's clive and bundy's son so what that did is that set off, like, pe- people who saw this happening said, hey, these are nice people. We, um, we're going to go and stand down with them, stand up to the federal government. So hundreds, I don't know how many exactly, from across the United States went down and stood with the Bundys. And, gosh, I would say it's got to be one of the most memorable photos in American history is to see cowboys. Like, people that don't know, they, they maybe only think cowboys are in the movies. No, there's real-life cowboys in America. Oh, yes. And we can be thankful for them because they grow food for us, and they make really good, delicious beef. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing like um, American-born and bred hamburgers cared for by cowboys. So the, the picture is the cowboys standing up next to... There's like this 
line drawn in the sand, and they cowboys on horses against our own government in uh, their their Humvees, their militarized vehicles, their ugly guns. I call them ugly guns. It's the, you know the guns that look scary that they that they ban. I, I don't know if they had automatic weapons. I can't remember. Um, choppers flying overhead and dogs and. And, and they were pointing them, pointing them at American citizens. And this is something that I only heard about when I was in grade school, but it never happened in America. This happened in Nazi Germany, in Russia, in China, in all these places that have communist dictators. So I, I'm, I started following the Bundys, and I thought, wow, these people have a lot of courage. So I studied and found out that they were the last surviving rancher in Clark County. And that they, that they, another tactic being used to take ground and put it in the, the power of the government is they'll, they'll say, oh, I think it's a tortoise out there. Do you remember what it is, Kevin? I think it's yeah, a tortoise. Yeah, tortoise. Yeah, because it was, a, I think the rationale was that the tortoise was in danger. That's why, it's one of the reasons why they, the government wanted the land. At least they said that it was the, to protect the tortoises. Never mind the fact yeah. that there were more tortoises on the Bundy Ranch then uh, there were historically, it was my understanding, reading uh, one of the websites out there. I, I do believe that is accurate. And the other thing that they're saying, that endangered plant, is the Joshua tree, I do believe. And um, and there there's a lot of Joshua trees out there. So, again, I wanted, first of all, do we eat tortoise burgers? Seriously. Um, you know, like, if we have to survive, we don't eat turtles. and and But we do, like... We eat cattle, except for the vegetarians or something. Yes. A, a lot of people, yeah, like, oh, beef eating, eating beef is not a sin. In fact, it's actually very good um, in times of famine. It, it provides protein. And, mm -hmm. and cattle, um, I can't remember how many exactly. It, it might be as much as 1,000 or 100 or 500, but it's a lot. So when you kill, cat, cattle are extremely important for everyday items that are used by Americans, for example. I don't know if it's very important for you, Kevin, but for me, very important, lipstick. <laughs> um, also, like, guitar strings and violin strings. There, there's not anything that is thrown away when you kill a cow. Um, that The hides are used, everything is used, and, and really smart people have figured out how to use every part of the cattle. So it's not just about hamburgers and steaks. It's, it's really about a lot of the products that we use in our everyday lives. And so that they would put, they would place a tortoise above importance of a cattle. I, I don't understand some of these laws sometimes. <clears throat> okay, so I, so I was fascinated with them and I and I saw I, I watched all their videos on the internet like anything about the Bundys and I have family that are ranchers and and, and friends and, and my uh, my mom's side of the family they're farmers so my dad's side of the family are ranchers and my mom's side of the family are farmers and so the people that have connection to the land and who produce our food I think that everybody this is not some right-wing conservative issue this is no, it's issue. not. It, it, right, Kevin. And this is an issue that every American that likes to eat, that likes to play music, that likes anything that comes as a byproduct of cattle 
or, or milk or the, the dairy and, and the food that we eat, this is a big deal. So, um, b- because ranchers, uh, um, I don't know, I, I can put you in touch with this lady that I met uh, when I was in Oregon that she, she has like a degree in, in all this stuff and she can, she can quote the numbers exactly. But the gist is, it's that ranchers are disappearing at an alarming rate for a number of reasons. A big reason is that they're being pushed off their ranches by the government. And remember, Bill Clinton raised the grazing fees in late 1993, which, by the way, uh, back when he was a good senator, Senator Larry Craig tried to fight against. I think that's one of the reasons they're disappearing, don't you think? Oh, totally. Okay, here's a real example, and I'm not going to say, because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but people close to me um, own a ranch that's been in the family for over 100 years. And the families that take care of that have worked the land with all their might, mind, and strength. And, oh my goodness, like, anybody that's ever worked on a farm or a ranch knows how hard it is to work the land. They don't get coffee breaks every every two hours. They don't, they don't get to work in air conditioning. They don't get to work in, in the heat. They work out in the elements. So for 100 years, they've been grazing the, the land and, and producing meat for people to eat and, and making darn good meat, by the way. Anybody that's ever had a hamburger or bacon or ham um, or, or any of this homegrown meat produced by family farms and ranches, there's nothing like it. It is, oh, it's so much better. By the way, you know where I like to go to get meat if I can is uh, Sprouts. Their meat tastes really good. I wonder if it's homegrown because it is really good hamburger there at Sprouts. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised, and at the very least, it's certainly being fed with products that aren't artificial. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, that, and we should, like, be, we should pay attention to what the cattle are eating that, that we eat. Okay, so so when you see that, this is a concern to me. It should be for liberals. It should be for socialists, communists, whoever. Like, we all like to eat quality food. It affects everything that we do. So, um, so if, okay, so this ranch that has been in the family for over 100 years, there's these laws that if the original um, heir... So the original owner, you know, that comes from the family, when they die, then they, the government goes in and they'll, they'll reassess the property values of the ranch. And they'll say, hey, you know, maybe 100 years ago this land was worth, I don't know, $5 an acre or something, but now it's worth $1,000 an acre. So you have to pay the tax now for that. And, like, it's impossible. So what happens, I mean, you can't, it's what you call being land poor. So all these people that own a lot of land, everybody, be, oh my gosh, they're so rich, they own all this land. Well, but it doesn't, it's not, it's not worth anything. So, I mean, you have to work it, you have to, you have to grow things on it and, and produce for land to become valuable. So, so they'll go in and now that they have to pay taxes at this higher rate. And they're like, no, I can't afford that. Well, sorry, you know, I guess we'll just have to take over your ranch then. And so that, that's one of the things that is happening. Um, and, and so, like, 
there's an election two weeks away, and everybody had a big fat cow when Trump said, hey, it's great if I don't have to pay any taxes, and, and I've been having discussions with people, and they think he's terrible. Like, why are we brainwashed in, in society into thinking that we have to pay taxes? That was what the very Revolutionary War was fought over. And we're so conditioned, like, oh, you're, you're, you're worse than a, a robber or a, a thief or a murderer if you don't pay taxes. Well, it, it's killing, it kills us all. These taxes are destroying the economy. Um, oh, a, another example of being taxed out of your inheritance is a, an example of Granny Smith, for example, just to make up a name. But I've met her in per I've met a lot of Granny Smiths in person when I've been at tax protests or when they've had um, a proposed 30% tax increase. And so what that means is that they finally, you know, work for 30 years and they pay off their house. But now that the house is assessed at the higher tax rate and they're losing their house. And I remember, um, I'm really getting off on a tangent, but at a, a tax hearing where there was a 30% proposed property tax increase, I remember this old lady, Granny Smith, I'll call her, she grabbed me by the collar because I had a petition to stop the tax increase. And she was, she was begging me. She was saying, please help. I'm going to lose my house. So it, those are just like a couple of examples of how government pushes people out of their houses and off their farms and off their ranches. But let's get back to the ranch, because do you think... I remember oh, I was uh, I was 13 years old, and uh, I used to listen to the... Believe it or not, we actually had a radio station up in Idaho, and I, I know Salt Lake did too at one point. They would actually simulcast the uh, 10 o'clock news, and because I just happened to have a radio in my room, I would listen to that particular station, and it was a big deal, uh, October, November of 93, where the ranchers, President Clinton actually did sign a law that would raise grazing fees. Do you think that's really when we saw ranchers decreasing? I mean, obviously they were before that, but do you think that really put it into perspective was in 1993? Well, it, it sounds like it to me, and, and everything is easily searchable now on the internet, so it makes sense because if you can't pay the fees, you have to sell. Yeah. So, and by the way, it was in 1994 when Clive and Bundy fired the BLM. Let me ask you this, though. Uh, did you go to the standoff at the BLM uh, in uh, in April of 2014? I want to touch on that, too, a little bit. Um, no, I did not go. I really wanted to go. I, I felt like... Hey, these in any time that you see somebody that has the courage to make a stand, I know I appreciate it when people will stand with me. Did, did you go, Kevin? I did not, and uh, I wanted to, but number one, it was uh, clear in uh, Bunkerville, and I did not have transportation to get down there. Uh -huh. uh, there were a couple other reasons I didn't go, which I'll mention off the podcast, because uh, I know you'd be interested, but... I followed it, and the thing that struck me, and uh, remember when the government came to take the cattle and killed the cattle? Did you notice? And they're not stupid, the BLM. They did it 
during the time that the priesthood session was being aired at General Conference. You think there's a correlation <laughs> there? I do. I did not realize that. Wow. I, yeah, you know, interestingly enough, since this is an LDS um, podcast, in, in my heart of hearts, I just knew the Bundys were Mormons. Just because they were making a stand for principle. I know other religions make a stand for principle too, but my gut was telling me Nevada, you know, kind of these Mormon areas, and just, just the things that they were saying, little things like, they might have said, uh, without saying Book of Mormon, I think they've referenced, you know, like, hey, America's a choice land or something like that. So so when I researched it, and then I, I one of the, the best speeches on free agency I've ever heard um, is like was like this two-minute speech by Ammon Bundy, where he was telling all the people that had come to help them to stand against the government, like how that God values our free agency, which, which is freedom here on, on the earth and in our government. So I, so what I did, so I joined up to um, be on the Clive and Bundy newsletter list. And so I would get, last summer, I started receiving, well, it would be more than last, it's like it's 2015 now, the summer of. And so I started getting these email alerts from Carol Bundy and, and Ammon Bundy telling me about these farmers in Oregon that um, were being abused by the federal government, that they had, they had burned. There was a fire, which, by the way, there are people that will tell you that they have seen the BLM starting fires on, on a lot of these. Uh, I've heard that, trends. yes. And, and there's video of it. And so what, peop the, what people say is, oh, well, that was one of those controlled fires. Well, who, who knows, right? Okay, yeah, the, but, uh, yeah, you're talking about the backfire where they burn something and then they burn a fire opposite to the fire to negate yeah. burning down. Yeah, so the down. Hammond yeah. Ranch was in danger of being burned. And by the way, they had been fighting the government for quite a few years. Uh, the government wanted the Hammond Ranch for quite a few years. Yeah, they would. Uh, the government put fences around their water, their irrigation. I don't know exactly how they did it, but they put fences around where they had water rights. Uh, ranchers in Oregon, at least in that part of the area, have been having issues with the government since the 1970s. As a matter of fact, just to give you a little background, uh, back in 1980, the BLM, actually I think it was the Fish and Wildlife Department, not the BLM, although the BLM may have been involved, but I know the Fish and Wildlife Department actually did come to uh, Burns, Oregon, and that whole area, and diverted a lot of the irrigation water into the lakes there in uh, Harney County. Uh -huh. And it flooded a lot of the ranches and the barns, and people had no choice but to leave their property. Somehow, probably maybe the Hammonds weren't close enough. They were one of the few ranches standing. And then in uh, 1989, I believe is when it was uh, Susie Hammond, the wife of... Uh, uh, Mr. Hammond, I can't remember his first name, uh, but Susie Hammond um, got uh, somehow contested the Fish and Wildlife Department and said that you know uh, these uh, these ranches have 13 times more wildlife than the refuge, the bird refuge out there in Burns, Oregon, 
which, by the way, some of my siblings went to when they were kids. Oh, wow. And, yeah, it, I, it was a fun trip for them, and I'm sure it would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might go out and see it. But anyway, um, and then she said, when birds migrate to the north for the summer, they there's uh, they're uh, 13 times more likely to stop to these ranches as opposed to the bird refuge. And I remember the oh. bird refuge, the bird refuge, the bird refuge had, or the ranchers had four times wildlife as the bird refuge. So once she contested that, that's when all hell broke loose for the Hammonds. That's when they started uh, the BLM started putting barricades up at their uh, at their property at the upper part of their property. The Hammonds broke down the barricades. And then they were fined. And then, uh, like you said, in night in uh, 2001, uh, Steve Hammond, the son of Mr. Hammond, I'll call him Mr. Hammond because I cannot remember his first name, uh-huh. um, unless you know it. I can't remember it right off. Anyway, uh, Mr. Hammond, uh, the son, Steve Hammond, called the BLM and said, I'm going to do a backburn. Everything was fine. Then in 2006, uh, sometime in 2006, there was a lightning storm. And so Steve Hammond went and did a backburn where, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but a backburn is where you burn the opposite direction of where the fire is coming from, correct? Yeah, well, it's the term that they use, um, you fight fire with fire. Yeah. Because that's the only way to, to stop the fire from burning up more is you just pick a point, a control point, and then you burn that so it doesn't have anything left to burn. So it just goes out. Yeah, and so what happened is a couple days later, or the next day, there were uh, police that filed a report, and then the next uh, the next couple days after that, the next few days, uh, somebody from the BLM invited uh, Steve Hammond to come have coffee. Well, what it was is it was a sting operation, and right there they got arrested. He had to call his dad. They got arrested for, well, Mr. Hammond got arrested for three months. Steve Hammond got arrested for a year. And then they were let go, and then the judge, uh, I guess it went to trial, and the jury up there in eastern Oregon said it it was wrong to put these people in jail, and somehow it went to the Ninth District Circuit Court of Appeals, and they said, nope, you got to have the full five years, so they are currently in jail right now, Um, and it's really unfortunate. They they did serve some jail time. Yes. Um, and and they paid a four hundred thousand dollar fine. Yes, they did. So they so they and they like they they sacrificed a lot and, and like they're paying it. They were trying to save the ranch and they actually and it and they they stopped a fire, but because it burned a few acres of, of BLM ground, they got yeah one hundred twenty seven acres. That sounds like a lot, but from what I understand, one hundred twenty seven acres compared to how much is out there is not much. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, and it sounds so, like a lot to me, being in the city, but I've I've never been a rancher, so you know, don't you? In crime, you have to have like you have to yeah. have the means, you have to have intent. Um, mm-hmm. It was not a vindictive intent. Oh, oh my gosh, you're trying to start a fire. I mean, stop a fire. So they had paid for four hundred thousand, and then they, I, there's this new. Um, there's a federal law. It's something like if you're labeled a domestic terrorist or, or something like that, it's like an automatic five years. Anyway, it's. It's a federal law, and so they, without going to trial again, just like you said, and without being retried, the judge just sentenced them to go back to, to prison for five years. Now, this is a father and son um, that would be the equivalent in Utah, but he, 
I think let's use this example because everybody would understand this. It would be like, like, like um, Mitt Romney and his son Josh going yes. to jail. It, they're that nice of people, you know, upstanding people in the community, um, very well respected, and and they're going to prison. <laughs> so, so, so Ammon, he felt compelled because some people, when you do something nice for them, they feel an obligation to give back. So yes. his family felt like, hey, everybody came and pitched in to help us stand up to the federal government, so I'm going to go up there and find out what's going on. And so he went up there and he researched the story before, y'all, you know, it's a good thing to do before you take off half cocked. You know, you go research the issues, which he did. So he started sending out emails with his mom saying, hey, here's, here's the story of the Hammonds and what we need to do is we need to write letters to sheriff and the governor and the senators and and all these public officials so that they can be aware of the situation and and relook at at what has happened so i did it i I sent my letters to everybody that they asked me to send to and then they started circulating a petition my understanding is that they gathered 10,000 signatures that said hey let's the hammond shouldn't be going to jail let's relook at this issue and so nobody was listening to him. So as a final, I remember I was so like the last thing, it, it was going to be done like Ammon had done everything in his power to try to keep the Hammonds from going to jail. So they were scheduled to go to jail, I do believe, like Monday, January 4th. And so they had a, a planned rally on January 2nd. And it was just one last thing to protest them before they went to jail and I was like oh man you know I'd like to but I, I can't make it up there um, it's the holidays and the weather and stuff it's expensive right so oh yeah and, and I'm like I'm not as dedicated as they are <laughs> like oh my gosh Ammon has six kids you know like the, the, he understand like that was his wife that's a whole another story about how incredible their family is and to, people might say well he's so irresponsible but no like I understand anybody that's ever taken on a cause um, and and tried to make change. It's a lot of work, and I'm lucky, like because my husband is the, the breadwinner for our family. And I don't know if I would be. I have to be honest. I don't know if I'd be real happy if he was running off when I had six kids at home to go and, and help somebody out. You know, so that sacrifice is just tremendous for me to be a political activist um i'm not the breadwinner and so i don't have to worry about the income so i yeah we could be a lot richer you know but so so that's the sacrifice that their family made he has an orchard business in in emmett idaho okay yes so while so that's the last that I had really heard. Okay, so then the next thing I see on the news is that there's been an armed takeover of um, a wildlife refuge in Oregon. And so, and then I was friends with Lavoie Finnecum, who was murdered by the government, um, that he was still alive then, and, and his wife, Jeanette. And they were, they're just right from this little town in Arizona called Cane Beds. <clears throat> and I had become acquainted with Lavoie 
and you can go watch his videos on YouTube and see his character. And and once, like, I met Lavoy, and he changed my life because he just reminded me that, um, Ezra Tapp Benson said, that the fight for freedom is God's fight, and he that fights for freedom stands with God. And there's something else that goes with that quote. But that, so I was like, I just had this sit-down, face-to-face talk with Lavoy, and I was like, man, it's so hard, you know, like, all the money I've spent on political activism, it doesn't benefit me directly, like trying to save nature or gun rights or fight tax increases. And, and like all my neighbors, you know, or, or my friends, you know, they've got, they're going on vacations and doing all this fun stuff. And I'm going to city council meetings and holding rallies and protests. I must, I feel like kind of a square. A lot of face off, you know, bragging on Facebook about their vacations. <laughs> and he said, you know what, Channeli? He goes, why are we here on this earth? Because we're here just a little bit of time. And then, and, and we're here to show, like, what's, why are we here? Is it to preserve the freedom that we have? And is it to make the world better because we are on it? And, like, five months later, he was dead, fighting for what he believed in. Let me ask you a question, because uh, you're bridging right into a topic that I want to touch here. Did it bother you that the church condemned Lavoy Finnicum and Ammon Bundy for their actions occupying the federal building? Well, you know, I'd, I'd have to, if I'm going to follow the commandment and be honest, <laughs> I, you know, i got to be honest and say that, yeah, that it did, but I understand why. Um, That's okay. It's just a podcast. We can be honest. Okay. So, yeah, so you're not going to ask me. See, see what you do? Like, you just let me ask and you don't try to twist things I say. And what I mean by that is that the LDS Church always has a PR nightmare, let's face it. And mm-hmm. so, like, with with gay and lesbian issues, with, with the stuff going on at BYU now, they're saying that they... You know, they they didn't report sexual assault um, with oh, there there's all with women in the priesthood. There's there's always something that the LDS Church has to deal with. Whether it's you know why didn't blacks hold the priesthood? And so I think that that time, you know, they're just recuperating from the latest um, let's attack the LDS Church thing. And and I think that that. I don't know if it was Ammon or wh- how it got out that they were like comparing themselves to Captain Moroni or. or well, like yeah, that. that's because somebody and I don't know who somebody used the handle Captain Moroni on Twitter, and I think that that made the church upset, and understandably so, because you know they didn't want to be caught up in in that kind of thing with the day and age of social media. I think the church did have some reason to be a little worried about it. Yeah, it, it's, um, and, and on its surface, which is what I thought, which is why I wanted to go up there, mm-hmm. on the surface it appeared, because of media reports, that a group of vigilantes had, had an armed takeover of a wildlife refuge. So I think the church did say, look, we can't run around with guns taking over wildlife, something like that. It wasn't that exactly, you know, but, so I... But they didn't keep on. They didn't keep harping on it. It was like this one-time statement, and I can tell you that 
that it did devastate the Bundys and, and the people that were up there that were Mormons. But they it never affected their testimony or the, it never did their faith ever waver, you know, maybe waver for a second or something. But but they but they um they believe in the Mormon church and the principles at, that are taught in the Book of Mormon, which by the way Every Mormon should be a political activist. If you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, you understand that Jesus Christ is freedom. And we should understand that better than anybody because of, of and, and it's in the Bible too, by the way, but it's just that the Book of Mormon is a companion to the ideal of that we, the very reason that we are here on the earth is because we chose to have our free agency. Well, here's what I would like to know. Uh, we're going to get off on a tangent here and get right back to the Bundys, but you uh, did a good job in bridging me into this topic, so let's uh, go with it here. Um, I would be really curious as to, you know, take the PR out of it, take the PR department out of it. I would be really curious to know what the general authorities, especially the Quorum of the Twelve, thought about the whole fiasco. Well, there's a couple of really good articles that have been written about this very, very honest look um, at the Bundy takeover, if you want to call it that. Um, uh-huh. and, and that is... Uh, there's this magazine I didn't know. Um, I wasn't aware of. It's called Vice. Have you heard of it, Kevin? Vice? Yeah, V I C E. No, I haven't. And apparently. B is in baby. Uh, v is in Valentine. So V I C. Not Miami Vice, but the Vice. Yeah, and apparently yeah. it's one of the most popular magazines on online. I, I don't know if they actually have a magazine, but because I, I got it online, and and mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I, I don't know if they're liberal bent or if they're conservative bent, but whatever they are, they're true journalists. And they they had a, a vice reporter up there. And they explored. They really got into the minds of the Mormons that were up there. And, and I would have been in that story, by the way, and, and I would have been in the same truck that they're talking about. But I went home earlier because one of the people there had a premonition that there was about to be a raid. Anyway, that's I'm kind of going off, but I'm just but I'm just saying. Uh, and and if I could just kind of paraphrase that article to really explore how they thought, is that 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 played a major role because um, it, once you become converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ and you have a solid foundation, really the very depths of hell really can't shake it, and so. Those are the types of people, the Bundys and the Finnicums, and and the people that I rode up with. So I, okay, so back to the ranch. So I, the, um, Jeanette Finnicum posted on my Facebook wall that Lavoy, uh, oh, I said that there, you know, I go, hey, is Lavoy going to go up there? And she said, he's already up there. And I was like, oh, dear, because everybody just had a weird feeling, like, oh, this can't be good, you know. So I have some friends that I've been political activists with uh, for a lot of years, and 
so they called me and they said, hey, we're going to, they knew the Bundys and Shauna Cox. And, and so, and I knew Lavoie and Lavoie's brother went with us and they said, hey, let's go up there. Let's see if we can calm this whole thing down. It, it had only been a few days since the, the takeover. And they said, we want you to go with us because you've been fighting for gun rights for over 20 years. And we think that they kind of need a reality check of what they look like to um, to the public. And I have a degree in public relations, and it's kind of a public relations nightmare. I'm not I'm not faulting them for that. It's just that, like, you're a small you're a group. You're ranchers out in the middle of nowhere. You don't have handlers. You just go out and you kind of make a statement, like bring your guns up to the refuge. <laughs> and, and yeah. it, you know, it, it sounds like, and, and here's the thing, you have a right to have firearms. So yeah. they weren't even saying, come up and let's have a shootout. They said, bring your firearms. So sometimes you can't really explain why things happen, but they kind of have to happen. So, so picture. So we went up there and we said, "Hey, you guys need to, you know, you need to put the long guns away and the ugly guns, because it's scaring people." And so, like, we don't know, like, the the pictures that they were showing. This was at the pictures, standoff, correct? You yeah, talked to them. Okay. Yeah. So we went up yeah. there, and first of all, I, you really have to wonder, like, why is this such a big deal? As you know, Kevin, that the the wildlife refuge is out in the middle of freaking nowhere right oh yeah we, call, we used to call that bfe don't say what that stands for we used to say it's in the middle of bfe but now <laughs> just to uh just to put a timeline when were you there uh, i assume what the, the beginning of january of 2015 correct just to put a timeline yeah, on, they, on there for the yeah. listeners okay yes um january 2nd was the um they had the the march and it's and they protested and then that's the same day they took over the wildlife uh-huh. refuge okay so we went up there the fall like it's january 8th which was a friday and so we drove up like thursday friday and we we're some of us were there for saturday but the purpose of it was they they were listening that the bundys trusted the people that i went with and they said hey you got to have a 24-hour moratorium on the media and we want to help you get your message out there we know why you're up there we know you know like you you're trying to 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 hit home this message of that ranchers are losing their ranches and that we're losing our property rights. And so, you know, let us kind of help manage the message and talk to you about some PR issues. And they were very receptive. So so we went up there and, and just to, the charges that, you know, the jury is in deliberation right now. And the charges are that it was conspiracy to impede federal officers from going to work. So there, so that, so on those charges, they they never, they never said that people couldn't go to work there. So here's how the, so we went up, we met with them, we met with Lavoie. We have exclusive footage of Lavoie with sitting by his brother, telling why, explaining why they were up there, and it's very touching conversation with his brother to say his brother wanted to understand like why are you up here and he said because i the parable of the lost sheep we want to help our friends and and we see we're not opposed to government but we're just saying federal government you're getting too big you know i can't do my ranch i can't do my job and and so the ranchers uh they were going to them 
in the cover of night because they didn't want to be seen by the media. So they were going to them and they were educating the ranchers, here's what your rights are. In the Constitution, you know, the federal government's not supposed to own ground. But th those issues became lost because they took guns. So here's for people listening, and, and you can, I'll just ask you, okay, you, you're you in the, the world of communications and the media. So, oh, yes. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, if you if you were hired to be public relations for the Bundys and you sent out a news release to everybody in the world and you said, hey, I'm a, I'm this client, I'm, my clients are these ranchers and they have a beef with the federal government taking over ground and they are out in the middle of nowhere. We're, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to fly in from France and England and all over the world fly in to the middle of nowhere and, and listen to what they have to say. And would you be able to do that? Like, I would be a little nervous, uh, not because of getting you know arrested or whatever, but it would just be a very hard task to do because realistically how many people would actually do it? That's, uh, that's kind of like saying to me, somebody, I have a hard enough time being spontaneous as it is. A lot of times someone will call, do you want to go to dinner? Do you want to go to this party? And I kind of think, well, no, I wasn't planning on doing that. Even if I had nothing planned that night, uh, it's just how I, how I operate. So I, I would have a hard time doing that. Yes. And it's, it's really nothing short of miraculous that the media went to the middle of nowhere <laughs> To hear a group yeah. of podunk, they're podunk, you know, in, in all due respect, doesn't mean anything bad, they're just, they're, they're yeah. not these genius PR people and, and like spin doctors and stuff like that, they, they were just really the, these hard-working ranchers and cowboys that had a message, and they attracted the attention of the whole world. I'll never forget that. When, when people talk about standing your ground and, and, and facing the wind against all kinds of opposition that's what they did and and so if, if anything the guns i think attracted the attention because it looked like a you know like a, a takeover like a, i don't know like a wild cowboy day takeover of a, of a government facility but here's how they took over the facility because i was sitting right next to ammon bundy when he told us all what happened and it was basically that um they they had not planned on taking over the refuge, and the thought came to Ammon, hey, because he, he knew the land, he'd, he'd already been up there for a few months, and he said, hey, um, let, I think we need to go take over this wildlife refuge, and that'll, that's going to help us get our message across. So it was completely spur of the moment. So it wasn't a conspiracy. I think a conspiracy, you have to plan for these things, you know? It was spur of the yeah, moment. Yeah, and I like how uh, KGW-TV said... Uh uh, I can't remember how that basically Ammon Bundy and his crowd. I'm paraphrasing. Ammon Bundy and his his crowd broke in to the federal uh, to the federal building, the bird refuge. Well, as far as I know, according to Shauna Cox, no, they didn't break in. In fact, there wasn't even a key. They just walked in. Am I correct? That's absolutely correct, Kevin. And yeah. So they. So here's what's interesting is that he Ammon said, "I don't know who to trust. I don't know most of these people that came." People came from across the United States, I think, to the, the, the protests in Oregon. So you had a feeling to, you had a roll of pennies. And 
I remember reading this in the news where the protesters were throwing pennies at City Hall saying, let's buy back our government. Well, the purpose of those pennies, because Ammon had a feeling that, like, to, to give a penny to who he could trust. And so, mm-hmm. if they, so if they took a penny, he could trust them. If they didn't take a penny, he didn't trust them. So the ones who took a penny, he said, hey, after the protest, we're going to go and take over the refuge. And so they drove down there. All the buildings were unlocked, and they basically just parked the truck horizontal in front of the entrance, and that was the takeover. The, I mean, so we went up there. I can I can witness this. There, not one window was broken. Um, there wasn't even a paper, piece of paper out of place in the rooms that we met in. And Ammon and, and Ryan and, and Lavoy, they all told everybody. T- they told us, hey, this you know, respect this property. Don't mess things up. And so. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I understand uh, they paid uh, Ammon Bundy and the rest of the crowd paid for uh, garbage men to come up and take out the trash, and they cleared out the snow and all kinds of things. Yes, that's right, and I did. I witnessed garbage pickup. They came. Yeah. And, and so, so here's, so we here we're thinking, hey, we're going to be this group of six friends that go up, and we're going to talk them out of this so no one gets hurt. Well, when we got up there. We discovered, you know, it was so big um, that you can't stop it. They had they had tapped into people's frustration with the government, and, and here's a couple of the things. And, and first of all, I'm I'm going to say this, and I I kind of hesitated just a little bit because this isn't a, a little setting of like a Sunday school class. I wouldn't even say this in Sunday school class. I just mean like. To, to say this, I don't want to, I hope that people don't think this is weird or, or fanatical or radical. But this, so the second that we stepped on to the refuge, they said, hey, do you mind if we kneel down in prayer together? So so here I am kneeling down in prayer next to Ammon Bundy, Ryan Bundy, Lavoie Finnecum, Shauna Cox, you know, all these people that the day before that the international media had labeled as domestic terrorists. And um, and so there. So Ammon Bundy is asking God, help us. You know, we know that America is a is a chosen land. Like, how can we preserve liberty? I don't think it's a stretch to say. I, I think that maybe people used to be suspect if we said our freedom was in danger. But I I think you'd have to be really blind not to see that the government is encroaching into every aspect of our life oh absolutely and uh, I do want to get back to the so do, were, how long were you up there in Burns how, how long were you up there well we um, we, we were there a day I was going to stay overnight uh, because they had a meeting up there with the townspeople but uh, this is a pretty special experience I'll tell you like in person oh yeah. I, but, yeah being from Oregon I, I was aware how liberal it was when I was ten years old. But carry oh, really? On. Oh, well, it's... yeah. So for reasons that I that I I won't say in the podcast, I just had like some experiences that we knew we needed to go home that night. But but three mm-hmm. of the guys. So you were just up there. up there for a day. Yeah, and we were there at the international news con- media from all over the world, and and then and. Did but, you meet okay. Alex Jones and his crowd? Um, I didn't meet Alex Jones. I met Pete Santilli. And a lot of the ranchers that were going there, but I'll tell. But I met some of the witnesses that I I went. I just was uh, subpoenaed, 
in court mm-hmm. to testify on their behalf. But I, um, the, here, yeah, here's, we'll get into that. When I realized, so we went to eat. They had one of the buildings was like a commissary, and so, so we went in there and, and people had started ship, shipping food in from across the United States. There was so much food there because they, they it wasn't a plan, they weren't going to take it over. So I don't know how the word got out. I, I, I don't even remember hearing anything like, hey, send food. It could have been just a spontaneous scene like, oh, my gosh, look at these people up there. They're daring to take on the federal government and, and these abuses of power. Let's send them food. So they, they literally had to build, like, shelves to store. Like, I, I saw, like, 10-pound bricks of cheese, ga- uh, five-gallon buckets filled with oysters from the Oregon coast. The bakeries um, were sending in their their baked goods. I, I saw like uh, like oh 40 boxes of pizza and, and wings and like fresh fruits and vegetables and hamburger and an ingredient. And people were just shipping them food. Let's have a party. Yeah, like hey, look, these guys have some fruit. <laughs> we're gonna send our food. I, I don't, I can't be there, but you know, let's send food in. Which, which also is interesting. Like, why, if the sheriff was so ticked off at him, why did he allow? Um, supplies to be shipped there, right? So, anyway, it was just like, wow, but they had really tapped into people's frustration and and to to see these small-town cowboys take on the world, they inter- you know, media there from all over the world, was so inspirational to me. So, um, so the, the day that we left, there, um, there had been a call-out. Ammon Bundy, Ammon Boy said, hey, we don't need any more people up here. But what happened was them taking a stand had attracted some militia groups, and so they were actually standing guard over them. Um, uh, I don't want to mention militia groups um, on your your podcast, you know, to protect them. But but there are, in the United States, there, there are people that, are bound and determined to protect the Constitution. So they mm-hmm. were there. They had kind of formed a little perimeter around the refuge because they they wanted, to, if something happened, they were prepared to go in and, and protect them. So there, so the, a bunch of militia people came up there, and my friends were inside of the wildlife refuge, and nobody knew quite what was going to happen. But as a credit to militia and the FBI, um, the, the the FBI and the militia the militia the FBI had made like this little encampment near the the refuge and so they they worked it out like the there's video of them like you know their it, their guns were pointing down finger off the trigger you know but they they both had their weapons both sides and as, as citizens of the United States they worked it out and nobody started anything but but that was their biggest fear is that it, that it, they weren't going to start to shoot anybody. But what they were worried about is that somebody would infiltrate and, and fire off a shot, and that would have started a shooting match, and then the government would come in and say, look, we saved the world from these crazies. Turns out, and, and that is, by the way, exclusive footage that we have of Lavoie Finnecombe that's been posted on Facebook and, and, and uh, YouTube, he said that was the biggest fear, that that was going to happen, which happened. And in court, it came out that there were like 15 paid government informants that had infiltrated and that were there at the 
wildlife refuge, so maybe even more government informants than people that had actually gone up there. I think there were. I know Shauna Cox talked about uh, at least two that went by really weird names, and one of them was from Switzerland, and I, don't, I can't remember where the other one was from. Um, Mama Bear, one was, uh, I think it was Mark McConnell, and another one that I met, Terry Vanell, and I think she went by Mama Bear, and she testified, and she... People are pretty upset that people would infiltrate and act like they're your friend and they're getting paid by the government to spy on you. And they sent in reports about them. But but the latest is that there were 15 government informants inside and they're not releasing any more of the names. You know, I wondered, and I want to get to the standoff. I know you were gone at that point. Um, I watched the standoff. This is before, this was uh, during the time where they were negotiating with Michelle Fury, who I'm sure you know, who you may oh, have yeah, met her. Oh, yeah, she's amazing. Oh, yeah. What he and uh, honestly, I was frustrated watching the standoff. I kept wondering if David Fry was an informant, because he. I really think David Fry caused more problems than solved. What do you think? Well, some people think that, and it, but some people think that he's a hero, too. But they're not. I mean, he's one of the ones on trial right now. But well, yeah. But I mean, he just kept. He couldn't keep his mouth shut. He. I mean, I could understand the swearing that he did, but he he just didn't. I don't know. It seemed like he had some psychology psychological problems going on. Yeah, I've I've heard other people say that. I listened to a little bit of the you know the rest of it when, um, the final four or whatever. Um, it's. It is so hard to be a political activist because um, when I would hold gun rallies, that was my biggest fear, is that it wasn't going to be somebody who who was on my side, that it was going to be somebody that would infiltrate and start shooting and make it look like, oh, the gun people, they started shooting, you know. And so, I mean, look what's happened at the Trump rallies. And we find out that they, they're paid instigators to go and cause trouble. So oh, yeah. I, sometimes I go, oh, my gosh, why do I even try anymore? Why does anybody try? It's hard enough to, to get people out and to come out. Then you have to worry about your enemies infiltrating. Well, let's get to the trial. Uh, you went and testified. How was that experience? Um, let's let's talk about the trial. Um, well, I... I went up there about the third weekend of the trial, and I was up there eight days waiting to testify. Is that when Sheriff Richard Mack was up there? Um, I testified maybe a few days before him. Okay, carry on. Okay, so um, if you testify, you can't, you have to either go in the witness room or you, you can stay outside. So I, I did some witness room time, and or a lot of time, most time I was outside with the protesters because they're, they're just really fun to, to watch. There, there are guys out there, maybe you've seen some of the videos, they're blowing their, um, the kudu horn, that, oh, the shot, I can't remember the names now, there's a name for the hor- the ram horns, or the, that they're made out of the kudu horns, they call it like it's the pure trump of God, and they're made out of animal horns, oh my gosh, there were a, a handful, four or five people that had those, and they were blowing those horns, because in biblical reference, it's like, you're, you're calling God to deliver us, or something like that. Um, and so the reports, people that were in there observing the trial would, would come and tell us that 
the defense would object and the judge would overrule. But if the prosecution would object, they would sustain it. So mm -hmm. it, it appeared, um, well, let me just put it this way without causing any damage to anybody. Just by a casual observation, it, it would appear that the judge, is she biased? I don't know. But she ruled mostly on the side of prosecution. So, Very fact, authoritative. Yeah. And so the Constitution was not allowed in the courtroom. Now, I think that the, the attorneys could quote from it, but the defendants were not supposed to quote from it or something like that. And they told Ammon Bundy, no, you can't, because they asked why he was here, and he went to quote the First Amendment. And I think the judge said, no, you can't quote that here. So everybody's like, what? The, you know, the yeah, court, and then the, uh, the attorney, uh, Ammon had a very good attorney, because the attorney kept asking a bunch of questions, and Ammon finally was able to get everything out that he needed to. A very skilled attorney. Oh, yeah, Marcus Mumford is incredible. And, and so is... Um, Morgan Philpott from Utah, he was up there. It was fun to see him. But another yeah. thing that the judge would do, I'm not sure how law works, but I, I think this is how it's supposed to work, is that the attorneys are supposed to object and not the judge, because you're supposed to be unbiased. Yeah, and uh, Anna Brown said, I want you to interpret the law, not how the people are thinking. And gosh, if that's not... Uh, if that's not authoritative, I don't know what is. That's that's like being in Nazi Germany or something. Well, and she would ob the judge would object. I'm not sure if a judge is allowed to object. Do you know? Like, because she would say to defense witness, and, and maybe she said it to prosecution witness. I didn't hear, but I did hear her say, "Objection sustained." <laughs> so she objected and sustained her own objection. Well, I do know that uh, she kept object objecting to uh, things, and and I do know that she did say this is according to Shauna Cox. Uh -huh. um, according to Shauna Cox, she said that um, I something to the effect of uh, I want you to I don't want you to, when you make your decision. I don't want you to see what the jury is thinking. I want you to say or interpret the law or something. In other words, she was trying to get it her way, uh -huh. and it's just kind of seemed like she used uh, intimidation going on. So I'm, I'm really worried about the jury at this point. Well, the, the good news is um, the prosecution's um, arguments, I think, unraveled before them just because a lot of the witnesses... They couldn't find really a lot of witnesses for the prosecution, but on the defense, there were countless, you know, dozens of people that could testify that, um, that yeah, my testimony was specifically on the right to keep and bear arms, and that I verified, you know, co completely convinced that they were not going to use guns as an offense weapon, that they would not be the aggressors with the guns. And I think they, they took the guns because the government, they were scared of the government, okay? It's kind of really freaky to be scared of the government, like, because they had, 
they had tasered people and sick dogs on people and brought like military equipment out on on a little a, you know little ranchers out in the middle of Nevada so um but if the if the jury is um if if they're if if they didn't get biased they would clearly see that the defense said hey they didn't try to keep anybody from coming to work here they they didn't advocate violence in fact it it turns out that the people that were training people like they were doing training exercises i do believe that those were the ones that were being conducted by the government informants so they would be kind of i think that would be called like entrapment or kind of spurring things on or making it look like wow these guys are really preparing when all they really did was just say bring your guns and they didn't have any plans to have any kind of a action against the government well uh so what what is your prediction do you think they'll get off do you think uh what do you think is going to happen? Because I'm really concerned about the outcome. I'm concerned that, uh, you know, I personally have mixed opinions about what Ammon Bundy and his crew did, even though I know they meant well, but mm -hmm. I I have very mixed opinions. Uh, what do you think is going to happen uh, from from here on out? Well, I, I would hope, and, and a lot of people are certainly praying you know that that they're found not myself included guilty and me because you know these are not violent people no Compared they're not the riots of baltimore and south carolina and and ferguson and all yeah. these recent black lives matter protests there's nothing nothing like even remotely the same because they didn't damage any property usually like when they these riots in the baltimore and ferguson you know you see a lot of property damage within 24 hours and we went up a week later and and i've got the pictures there's a, a website by the way it's called patriotsofmalheur.com malheur is m-a-l-h-e-u-e-r i think but but that is photographic evidence of of the um, condition of the buildings. So my pictures, my photos are, are some of the evidence. Um, be, because, <laughs> like I say, there weren't any turned over cars burning, or, you know, shattered windows, nothing like we see. And they didn't disrupt any traffic. They were out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so I do want to get uh, philosophical here. Okay. Um, I'll start by saying this, and I agree with you. These people are not terrorists. They are not violent. I've been following these people. I've been listening to enough talk radio. In fact, uh, one of the reasons I know a lot about this case, I don't know if you've heard of John B. Wells. Um, don't know about him yet. John B. Wells does a show called Caravan to Midnight. You have to get a subscription, and thank goodness I did. <laughs> And the only reason I got my subscription is because I was kind of curious as to what he was all about. Uh, John B. Wells, for those of you that don't know, used to be a weekend host on Coast to Coast AM. I didn't know this either for till last year. Mm -hmm. um, now, I had to pay $60 for a year to get a subscription to his program. And thank heavens I did, because I had no idea. 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea that he was following this case until I heard mm -hmm. one of the episodes, and I thought, I'm going to go back. And I just happened to stumble upon the one of the episodes uh, in, uh, done last week with Shauna Cox, and what better timing. Mm -hmm. It's almost as though there was some divine intervention to wow. me subscribing uh -huh. to the podcast. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's how I know so much about this. And I've also read a lot about it uh, before I came onto the podcast this morning. Uh, I spent a good four hours just researching, oh, researching, researching. Very, very fascinating. And let me just oh, say yeah. that, the, again, the, the family. Okay, Ammon Bundy has six kids. Ryan Bundy has eight kids. Mel Bundy has five girls. Dave Bundy, the, the two in Utah, the, um, Dave Bundy has six kids. These are not, uh, we, we, we jokingly refer to them as the blonde-haired, blue-eyed terrorists, right? You know, the yeah. church-going ter terrorists, the, the Christian terrorists. And so it's like like ridiculous. Everybody, everybody should be afraid that if a family like that who represents the best of, of, of who we are, of what we aspire to be, to be responsible families, and, and to, to train our kids and to be church-going and to fear God, and if they can do that to them, they're going to do it to anybody. And that's why they take yeah. these cases like that. If they can put them in jail, then they can do it to anybody, and it's going to be easier. Because a lot of people will have a hard time meeting the standards of these people. Well, here's here's my question, though. And, and this is something that I have struggled with as I have uh, as I've researched the Bundys. Uh, because I I remember reading about other things I've I've read well a little bit about Waco but I really really followed Randy Weaver so when I heard about Clive and Bundy in 2014 I got onto this right away but here's something that I struggle with and this is not a bash against anybody it's a philosophical argument that I have with myself Clive and Bundy didn't pay the ranch, rancher fees basically what he did is he fired the BLM uh huh. You know, we don't need to be politically correct about it. That's what he did. But here's my question, though. And, again, I'm not trying to start an argument. This is an innocent question. Uh, well, first of all, let me just ask you. Had Cliven Bundy moved off the ranch because his grazing fees were too expensive and then started giving speeches around the country and maybe formed a coalition of ranchers... Do you think he would have been more effective at getting his message across and legislation could have actually passed to negate what the federal government is trying to do? Because that's something I've wondered. Well, that's a really good question. And, and I think a lot of people, like reporters, for example, who, who, who actually seem, you know, I'm like this logical kind of person who wouldn't do anything like that. They said, generally, you don't do that, you know, and, and you know, which is kind of true that I really haven't but um, I think that but but I have on other issues like I was in a, a litigation for nine years in which I um, mortgaged my house and went without Christmas and, and, and uh, sacrificed everything I own it caused great grief to my family for principle are you I, a Grinch a Grinch what's that what's, like, <laughs> the Grinch who stole Christmas you said you went without oh, Christmas oh. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah like, like, I'll tell you why because I was paying legal fees and so, yeah. again, but I had, you know, like, um, okay, so I got sued for going to city council meetings. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, could I have, um, okay, so I could have just said, okay, sure, I'm going to settle, and then I'm going to go and, and, 
and then say, I'm going to do what they want, which is why they wanted me to keep my mouth shut. They sued me for $1.7 million and said, well, drop the lawsuit if you keep your mouth shut. That's what they did to the Bundys. Pay the money and, you know, and just shut up. Like, no, no, there's principles that you fight for at all costs. So I don't know that mine were at, mine certainly didn't have the propensity with, with guns, <laughs> but I but, but I face loose in everything that I own. So when when you're when you're facing danger, making a stand, I, I think it just elevates it. But what do you think though? If and again, I I don't know if I'm right or am I thinking or not. Just logic tells me. What do you think if Clive and Bundy just moved off his ranch and just started giving speeches around the country, holding ranchers' conferences and starting a coalition? Because I would think. And I'm not a bleeding heart liberal, but I would think that method would have been more effective than what he did. What What do you think? Well, it it very I, I no it's you know what it's not going to be as effective, Kevin. And I'll tell you why. It's because there there are some people that are doing that very thing that used to work. They either worked for the BLM or they worked for the fire service, or it was some it was some government entity that had to do with land issues. And and they're and they um, they heard the government say things like, "Hey, force people off the property and stuff like that." So they, um, I can't remember like if they quit their jobs because of that, but but they do now. They go around and they say, "Hey, this is wrong, and here's what's going on." And and I think other people have done that too. They've quit their jobs. Okay, WikiLeaks, right? Okay, let can we think of uh, Edward Snowden? I mean, maybe he could have done that a little easier. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. He kind of did the light, but he. So I mean, so I, I think it's that these these people who put it all on the line, Edward Snowden, you know, he has to hide out in in Russia and 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 Julian Assange. Did I say his last name? The WikiLeaks guy. He's. I'm not up. sure. He's the WikiLeaks guy, and so I think that people see the sincerity of it when they're like everything is on the line of them they can't even come back to the United States and and some people Edward Snowden and Julian Assange think that that they're they're traitors because they told what the government does but I I don't know like some things do have to be kept secret but the stuff that's coming out now on WikiLeaks about um, Hillary Clinton's mm-hmm. shenanigans and, and she's probably going to get away with it so, yeah, and I agree. I, I guess. I mean, what do you think, Kevin? I, 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 I don't know, but understand, I'm a philosopher at heart, along with so. But here's the thing, though. And again, I'm not trying to start an argument. I'm not even a bleeding heart liberal. I'm just thinking this through. What I would do. Okay, where do you draw the line? Okay, I don't like what my taxpayers' dollars go to. Do I just stop paying my taxes? Where do you draw the line? Because at some point, I mean, if we keep disobeying law after law after law, there's going to be anarchy. Where do you draw the line? Is it something that I always argue with myself? I don't know the answer. Um... I don't know the answer is either, Kevin, and, and I think about stuff like that all the time. So I I do have a couple of friends that didn't pay their taxes to the protest, and they suffered. Um, they mm-hmm. got fined, and they went to jail. 
I, I know a lot of people that do that, you know. So, so I don't know what you have to do. Um, the uh, I lost my thought there for a second, but um, we can, we can sit on the radio and we can pontificate about this stuff, and we can do a podcast, and we can and we can talk about what the right things to do, right? And it certainly yeah. could create people to think about it. But I know since this is a Mormon podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'll try not to cry. About, I got emotional for a second. Um, I just know from me growing up Mormon and, and everything that I've been taught from primary, from this song, Dare to Do Right. You know that one, Dare to Be Right, Dare to Be True. You have yeah. a work that no others can do. Um, I don't think I've heard dare, that one. Dare, but... dare to do right. Okay, but the other one is that I remember it goes, Our prophet had some words for you. And these are the words, be true, be true at work, at, play, at work or at play, in darkness or light. Be true, be true, and stand for the right. Okay, so, I, and I remember standing for the right. And that was when I was a little kid, four or five. And now I, I'm in the primary, I, I lead the singing, I play the piano, and they're, they're doing that song. But, but that, so, but I was kind of taught, like, oh, well, I don't know, I wasn't really taught this, it's just that. You think that if you make a stand for the right, the angels are going to come down and, and you're going to get all this praise like, you did the right thing. But it's not big things like this. This is little things every day. Like my daughter just told me today, she, she was honest and she lost $400 because she found an error in a paycheck. Um, it, it's things like, I can tell you, um, what, guys, I've taken on a, a lot of powerful people. But probably the the biggest power group I ever took on was a, a group of dance moms. <laughs> and that was, um, my daughter was in drill team, and they were doing hazing, and they, they were doing sexual hazing. And so they, they were having girls take off their clothes and perform vulgar acts. And that oh, wow. was unacceptable to me. And I... So my daughter Kate, she she went. Her, she's an incredible dancer. So her whole life she wanted to be on this drill team in in Utah. It's the best drill team in the state. And so like, so I made. There's this lady that was. Um, we know that drill teams can have reputations. Let's face it. We everybody they they just whether or not it's true they have reputation of being loose or whatever you know. So I remember this Mormon lady said, Hey, um, we know. Let's make this little pact that we're going to be strong, and if anything comes up that um, that does not adhere to Mormon principles, we're going to take a stand together. So when this hazing happened at a sleepover, I my daughter, who is pure as white snow, you know, um, yeah, it it oh I think I just dropped my phone. Can you still hear me? Okay. Yeah. So she came and told me what happened, and completely. She thought that Heavenly Father was mad at her because she did what they asked her to do. And and she, it completely, I saw the effect that it had on her. And then I told a couple friends and there, they said, you know, you, you know the right thing to do. You have to make a stand. And it, how, how, how the pecking order works at the high school that my daughter went is that the drill team is bigger than the cheerleaders or the football team because they're that good. And so I remember, like, okay, I, I did my, you have to do your research. So I did my research, and, and I found that sexual hazing is a big deal. 
And I even went and talked to one of the top athletic directors from my school district, and he had just written an article. That that article happened to be, okay, here's the thing. Like when when I was a kid, if they did any kind of hazing or initiation, it was it was stuff like wear curlers in your hair and go to the mall, right? Or bark like yeah. a dog, or meow like a cat, or wear put dye your hair purple or something, you know. But but the hazings now are they are, are of a sexual nature, and, and we become so calloused to sex because of MTV and and just like sexting and everything's like, oh, like what naked, you know, being naked is not a big deal anymore. Well, yeah, it is, you know, um, and doing things like that is just that part of the pop culture. Or do you make a stand? And so, to make a long story short, one one of the songs that came into my head was "Do What Is Right, Let the Consequence Follow." And I I'm mad at my to this day I don't know if I if do I regret making a stand. So I I told the drill team coach and and I called the lady that told me that she would stand strong with me and she said you're going to ruin the team and you're going to open up a can of worms. So. The girl that um, that stood with my daughter, she was from a less active Mormon home, and their family knew what was the right thing to do, and she took a stand with my daughter, and their family did, and I have never faced so much persecution. If, if it, people don't understand the dance mom culture, um, I, I grew up, I'm, I'm a dance mom, I'm, I'm a music mom, you know, but I, I know, like, you, you don't, you don't rat out the the sacred cow of the school and it was a huge huge oh my gosh like complete persecution of my daughter and my family's friends and things like that and mm -hmm. and so it was on the news and people wrote about it and my daughter faced she, the happiest girl in the world she was I, I thought I was going to have to take her to a psychologist for the persecution that was heaped upon her um, and, the, and the, fam, the other daughter faced immense persecution and they threatened to sue their families and everything because I, I guess you're not supposed to tell if if people do immoral and wrong things. <laughs> so I so so should I have waited until my daughter was kicked off the team by the way and the other girl she had had it she 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 had already been on the drill team two years but but the persecution that I faced and and the mental and everything that I, that I went through just on that case alone did I do the right thing or do we go to church and do we just hear the lesson? And everybody gives the right. You're not. You're never going to hear anybody give the wrong answer in a Sunday school class. If they say, if, if that, if we were role playing, and somebody said, "Hey, if you're in the most popular drill team in the entire state, and they start doing immoral activities, do you say something?" They're always going to say, "Oh, yeah, it's the right thing to do." But try putting it into practical application, and it's a completely different story. And you don't have angels coming out of heaven, and you don't get this applause. And it's extremely, extremely difficult. You but here's the thing, though. About it because it's so hard to make a stand. But here's the thing. We're t yeah, that's talking. But I'm talking about the laws of the land. Even in uh, one article of faith, what is it? We believe in being subjects to king, rulers, and magistrates, and obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law. Okay, if we were to take that literally, and this is not a bash against Clive Bundy. Again, I have philosophical arguments this all the time. Uh, he disobeyed a law. Well, technically, by that article of faith, he went against it. Uh, we've heard church people. Uh, we've uh, there was a guy. I don't want to get into this too much because we're running out of time. Bo Greitz, if you remember him. I remember Bo. Yeah. 
he was uh, excommunicated. Now, I think that there were other reasons, but one of them was he didn't pay his taxes. Uh, so, I don't know, where do you draw this line of obeying, honoring, and sustaining the law when the church comes out and says, we have to obey, honor, and sustain the law, and if we don't, I mean, if we kept, if we picked and choose, you know, if I just one day don't want to pay my taxes, well, for reasons I'm not going to get into, I'm shooting myself in the foot for one thing, uh, but then if all of us started just picking and choosing laws, we would have an anarchy, so I guess well, my question, where, where would you draw that line? I think that's a really good question. I think it's something that we should all think about, because I also heard in general conference um, one of the prop apostles said that just because um, a law is passed doesn't mean it's God's law. I mean, oh, that was Boy K. Packard. He was referring to homosexuality and things like it, that. It was, yes. an, it was another one that, that was oh. just a, a, well, he has said it, but so, but they, but I've heard it, but but I've heard it from the founding fathers. Like, resistance to tyrants is obedience to God. Just because you pass a law doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. We all know that they sit there and they pass these laws, and they're they might be legal. But are they ethical? Just because you pass a law doesn't make it legal. Is it like, does it follow the Book of Mormon, for example, when we are taxed more than twenty five percent of our income? I think it was just. God was mad under King Noah, and I think they were just paying 25% of what they made. Is it 25% or was it half? Because we pay more than half of our money in taxes, and it's, it enslaves us, and it makes us, we're not free, and we're in bondage, and we, and we can't be with our families like we want to do. We can't do church service because we, we have to go get second jobs to pay taxes to people that, that spend it on causes that we don't believe in. I just got into this... Uh, with uh, with birth control, um, at, but I with with Obamacare, I have to pay for lifestyles that I don't agree with, and that's why Obamacare. There is, is a so way out of that. Medicare. Well, I'm going to have to find a way out. Is that a legal way out? And I it's guess, le you know, yes, like, it is. Yes, it is. I thought that if you didn't buy um, Obamacare, that you went to jail. Nope. There's a way out of it. It's called MediShare. Well, I have to find more about it because I pay twice as much for insurance and I don't get any of the benefits. So, I mean, we can yeah, talk I, about I, unjust I, laws all the time, but, but they're, the people that rebelled against the King of England, I guess they were they were breaking the laws because they had a tax on tea. And they finally yeah, no. said we had enough. And look what that caused. It caused revolution. If the church were around back then, would they have condemned the actions of George Washington and all that? It makes me wonder. Well, they did condemn the actions. All the churches back in the Revolutionary War days did condemn the actions because they weren't non-profit. Well, uh, yeah, I guess my right? point is, though, you I know, they... the Mormon church? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, okay, because my point is they condemned the Bundys. So if the Mormon church were around back during the Revolution, would they have condemned what was happening? Well, I, I, I don't know. Again, that that is a really, I, I just know these people, and they are exceptional people. So oh, I, I agree. You know, so, so I don't know. Maybe the church didn't quite understand from the media perceptions that were being seen. But from the PR level, sometimes you got to do what you got to do to preserve, uh, you know. Well, and in the church's defense, I understand why they did what they did. Like I said, I, I think that they w didn't want to be mixed up with 
a bunch of who they deem to be nut jobs. But here's a question that I wonder about, and we'll end the podcast because we're running out of time. Okay, and I have something to say about what you just said about Mormons, by the way, but ask me a question. Oh, yeah, okay. Does it bother you that we don't have any President Bensons leading the church? We don't have anybody who's getting up there preaching about liberty and uh, the Constitution at General Conference like we did back in the 1950s and President Benson and J. Reuben Clark were notorious at getting up there and talking about how there were communists in the government and things like that. Does it bother you that we don't have those messages today at General Conference? Um, it, it doesn't bother me because we do have those messages. If you Google quotes on from Mormon prophets on LDS liberty, every single prophet has talked about how important it is to preserve the Constitution and to preserve liberty. And so, again, you can say they can talk all they want. President Benson said 50 years ago or more that we were going to, that, that the uh, Khrushchev told them we were going to wake up to socialism. We woke up yes. to it because they've told us and told us and told us, but we didn't do it. I did. I mean, look, I, I'm not perfect, but I'm telling you something. There's one area that I haven't. By the way, I used in. to be a Democrat. Oh, you did? Yes, I and did. There's a big thing in the paper of these these Mormons that are Democrats that say that, you know, you can be a Mormon and Democrat, which I don't think you can, by the way, <laughs> if you believe in the sanctity of life and capitalism. But it, well, and Hubie Brown was a Democrat. What is that? Hubie Brown was a Democrat, so was James oh. E. Faust. <laughs> yeah, so, we, you know what, we can't have all Republicans. Republicans in, in Utah were highest taxed, and we have a lot of blatant, so, so a lot of times they use their party and their church to get the means of special interests that they represent. So, mm -hmm. but I want to tell, but, but I, I mean, look at President Monson, look at, he said quotes all along about freedom and the Constitution. The very Book of Mormon talks about America is a choice land and to go out and to vote and to be active, but people don't do it. I've said over and over and over, I, you, you go into the conference center and, and, and you look, and I, I look at one little section one little section holds like one ward or even two wards you know yeah. and i'm thinking and and that we mormons fill up a lot of those sections because it's not just general conference but then we have regional conferences where we can fill those up and and i'm like i always i just always know if just one of those little sections became politically active we would not be in the mess that we're in i go to to rallies um Gosh, is it politically correct to, to say this? I'm going to say it. I go to pro-traditional marriage rallies, and and that should be packed, packed. But they're not. And, and that was a proclamation from the Lord that that marriage is ordained of God and it's between a man and a woman. But but we yeah. could get ladies to show up at homemaking and, and make all these crafts that we don't have anywhere to put them. And they'll go, but, but you think they're going to go to a rally with the very sanctity of the family is at risk? Have they made a phone call? Or, you know, I'm sure they're going to make a phone call and complain about maybe, oh, Relief Society lesson wasn't good enough or something. But are they, real, they need to be putting those phone calls to words they count. So let me tell you about the Bundys. So I'm having, I'm, I'm sitting there with, um, with these witnesses who I, I really can't name, but they're high-profile witnesses that live in Oregon. And so we're talking about the Bundys, you know, and, and what they, and so I, so they said, well, it's because of the Mormons 
and that's that's what one of the witnesses said and I was bracing myself because I live in Utah and I hear so much anti-Mormon stuff all the time and I was like I kind of tensed up and I go oh what about the Mormons you know getting ready to defend them and he goes the Mormons are showing us how to do it and I go what they go yeah the Bundys and the Finnicums are showing us how to fight for freedom and I'm like how refreshing is that so it's so sometimes you don't convert the world and, and the, the perception of the world is that, I mean I've lived this for the entire year you ask me what I've been doing it's been the Bundys and the Finnicums because it just I've been a witness to them and, I, and I'll tell you that the, you know I just anybody that has courage to stand up for what they believe in I'm gonna back them up so the world doesn't see this but a lot of other people do Kevin and and I'll tell you so they're taking notice and they talk about hey these Book of Mormon scripture things that the Bundys talk about they're talking about America's a choice land the Mormons are showing us how to do this one of the protests I had was with um, we, we called it Mormon girls gone wild and we were singing primary songs outside of the prison and, and we were just like I was like yeah Ameri you know America's a choice land and a lot of people are paying attention to this so um, you make it different little by little. And I, and I just have to say that Lavoie Finnicum, when he was murdered, I had friends that hate the Mormon church, and they swore they would never, ever go into a Mormon chapel. Well, Lavoie, the, the biggest thing that I learned in, in all of this, sorry, just got emotional all of a sudden, but um, is that, that our ways are not the Lord's ways. And so... When Lavoie Finnicum was killed, his funeral was in an LDS stake center. I witnessed every walk of life, people there, my friends included that hate Mormons and would never go to a Mormon chapel, but they're patriots. They were in the stake center, and all 11 of Lavoie Finnicum's children testified of Jesus Christ. And they had media there from all over the world. So people that don't think that Mormons are Christians and believe in Jesus, they just heard from the wife and the brothers and all 11 children of Lavoie Finnicum testify about Jesus Christ. And Lavoie Finnicum's brother Guy, who I went up there with, he, he's a bishop, and his closing remarks to a stake center that was packed and that people had brought their horses there because they had a horse parade. People were outside the stake center smoking. People had tattoos. These were not Mormons, you know. I mean, yes, you can have Mormons that could do that. But what I'm saying is he attracted every walk of life because liberty is something that belongs to all of us, not just Mormons, but we are Americans together that understand that we have to preserve the Constitution. So Lavoie Finnicum's brother Guy stood up and talked about Jesus Christ's freedom and that we are here because of the war in heaven and we're here on earth to protect freedom, and that's what Lavoie Finnecum believed in, and he sealed his testimony in blood. So here's a question for you, Kevin. Maybe Lavoie Finnecum should have just not gone up there, and and he, and if he wasn't killed, you know, is this movement stronger because he died, or is it less stronger because he died? Do you know? I'd have to think about it. I don't know. I do. Uh, sounds. It's stronger. Oh, it's stronger. Nobody knew Lavoie Finnicum or his wife when he was killed. I, that's why they put their stuff on my Facebook page because I had a, a, 
thousands of friends on Facebook, and I had media connections, so I'd let them put their stuff on my Facebook page. People around the world know now know Lavoy Finnegan because he's dead. Christ, they killed Christ, and they thought that they could kill Christianity, but it only made it stronger. They killed Joseph Smith because um, they thought they would kill Joseph Smith, and Mormons would go away. We're just stronger than ever. They killed Lavoy yeah. Finnegan, and it awakened. So maybe we don't make a stand, and maybe that's going to be the best way to do it. But when you're willing to take a stand and seal your testimony in blood and go to prison and suffer, you, you're practicing what you preach, and you're not just, you have something to lose for it. If you don't... Good point. If that which ye obtain cheaply, no, see, but that which you obtain cheaply, you esteem lightly, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't think we were going to go this long on the podcast. <laughs> so I just got like, I'm sorry, you just like, you just brought back all this stuff that um, my family's paid a big price um, for a lot of years. Um, but that's what you do if you believe in something. Yeah, good point. Uh, well, I, let's uh, end the podcast here. And uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again at some point because I do enjoy having you on. <laughs> you got me discussion. all worked up. Sorry. <laughs> Um, anyway, uh, coming up, uh, I'm going to try and get Brian Hyde on the podcast next. Do you know who Brian Hyde is? Um, I, oh, sure I do. No, I don't. I mean, I Brian Hyde do. is a talk show host in Cedar City who, oh. by the way, did interview Lavoy Finnicum, uh the summer before the fiasco in 2015. Go ahead and try and get him on. I do have a set guest, though, for the 15th of uh, November, Karen Fulmer, the... Well, I guess now the former wife of Gene Fulmer. Gene Fulmer passed away. Oh, yeah. Uh, very, very good lady. It'll be a little bit of a lighthearted podcast, but that's okay. Um, in the meantime... Oh, by the way, stay on uh, after the podcast because I have to talk to you about something. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, I will talk to you later, folks. Okay, thanks for having me on, Kevin. Yes, it was a pleasure. Thanks.